We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Bellato. And tonight we're coming to you doing something we haven't done since, well, this podcast wasn't even around in 2016. But as fans, we haven't done it since 2016. The Giants are 1-0. The Giants have won the first game of the season, the season opener. We go into this full week of content time where we're just like oh yeah we won let's take a look at the schedule now what's up next oh yes one and no 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 we're not one of those oh and one teams no 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 look at us check the standings one and no baby because the giants won their first season games their season opener since 2016 and actually i saw a stat that it was their first in the last or what their first i think in the last 11 years or 10 years something crazy like that and just in a late elated moment because the giants in the first half looked like oh my god it's another season of this. We're somehow going to have to do this again, Nick. And that means podcasts, three week, breaking down film. Maybe we see some dumb backup quarterback play. Maybe we see something, something that means nothing for next year. And in a moment's time from the second half on, the adjustments the Giants made, the big decisions they made, and the big plays made by key players, everything flipped on its head. And it became a game where, oh my God, the Giants look like they may be the better team in the second half right now are the Giants potentially mounting a comeback all the way through the point of the Giants scored the game tying touchdown and turned it into a game winning touchdown by deciding to go for two and then obviously the missed field goal at the end but it's incredible Nick I, I don't know where you want to start but I want to throw it over to you it is absolutely incredible Dan it is such a great feeling to have a coach who is willing to make those difficult calls to put his team in a position to actually win the football game, put his trust in his players like he did right there, man. I, I'm ecstatic at the fact that the Giants are in that position and the fact that they came away with the win. I mean, this is the former number one seed in the AFC from last season. Now, I think it's safe to say that they're a little overrated and they lost A.J. Brown and they lost some key pieces along their offensive line. But no one thought the Giants were going to go into Nashville and win this football game. And they were down 13 nothing or something at halftime, right? And they were able to battle back with good defense that stepped up in the right times. And then a rushing attack with great run blocking up front and a vintage Saquon Barkley that we really haven't seen since probably the end of 2019. Or you can even argue since his rookie season, man. So I'm pretty freaking excited about what we saw. As I, as I said on Twitter after the game, Nick, it's like, it's so funny. It's like, look, man. 
the difference between a win and a loss is just a missed field goal at, in, in some senses, yes. but you know, obviously also a missed extra point where the giants, you know, put themselves in that position with a bad snap. The giants also took three points off the board with the interception they threw in the, in the red zone after the, So that's another three they took off the board. So, and in, in, in some ways they gave the special teams also on the flip side led to potential opportunities for the Titans. So when you think about all that, that goes into the win and the loss, but at the same time, after a win, when you beat a, one, a former one seed Titans, yeah, they're not the same team they were last year in some senses. Look, they don't have Harold Landry and they don't have A.J. Brown. Those are two huge pieces of their offense. And they have issues on the offensive line, which the Giants exploited today and played a key role in the win, which we said they would. Nick, we said if the Giants have any chance to win here, they have to take advantage of their edge, which is their defensive line versus the Titans offensive line. The battle of the trenches, which we always talk about. The Giants won that. But what we didn't know and what we thought, you know, we, we knew it, but we didn't think we might see, which is the Giants actually winning the battle of the trenches on the flip side of the ball. The Giants run blocking, which I want to get to, obviously. And with the Giants run game, because the Giants today had the best player on the field. That's the only way to describe what we watched out there. No one played a better game today than Saquon Barkley played. Not Derrick Henry, not Ryan Tannehill, not any Jalen Burks, not Daniel Jones, not Sterling Shepard. People made plays, defense included. They made plays on both sides of the ball, but no one played a better game individually than Saquon Barkley today. And so where do you want to start, Nick? Because there's so much I could, that we could get into. Do you want to start first with, I think, the key thing that we want to address here, which is probably the feeling that we have now about Brian Dable as a head coach versus where we've been in the past from a process standpoint. And I think a lot goes into this because people have talked to me after the game and they've been like, look, man, if he goes for that too, and the giants miss that too, we're talking today about how bad a decision was. And that's just not the case. This goes with from this decision to time on, it's about a process. It's not about the results. So sometimes the results are going to be great. Sometimes they're not going to be so great tonight. They were great. But the process was there. He made the decision to give his players a chance to win the football game. And Nick, he took a play that they used a play on that, that I have been screaming for them to steal from the Chiefs playbook. It's now in like several playbooks. A lot of teams use this play now, but the Chiefs made it popular early on. I think maybe at this point, about two full seasons ago, that play that they use, and it's not always run through the running back like it is there through Saquon Barkley. But at that point, <laughs> Kafka and Dave were smart enough to be like, look, this play has to run through Saquon Barkley. We give the ball to Saquon Barkley in the red zone, and he's running with confidence and breaking tackles and powering through. And I was so happy to see them steal that play, and it works so effortlessly. But there's so much that goes into what I thought was impressive about Dable today. So let me just say a couple more things and get your takes on them. First of all, Nick, I felt like for the first time in a while, the Giants were calm and collected from a time management standpoint. On that final drive where they scored the go-ahead touchdown there, they knew that they could run the ball and they should run the ball, not only because Saquon Barkley was their best chance to win, but because it gives them opportunities to run the clock and force the Titans to use their timeouts. There were no examples today, and this was pointed out by one of our listeners, which I thought was great, Nick. There were no examples today of, oh, no, let's panic. The play clock's going down. Timeout, timeout, burn a timeout in the second half because the Giants' offense wasn't prepared. They were prepared for plays. They didn't have to waste those. So I felt like it was a more prepared plan. Obviously, the aggressive move was awesome. He put the game, he put it, you know, put the, game in the player's hands, but there were other aspects of the coaching here, not even play calling related, which we like Nick, that I thought were really impressive. There were plenty of times where it was a third and three, fourth and one, and there were just play calls dialed up, whether it would be a play action rollout where Daniel Jones used his own legs. I mean, they tried to use Kadarius Tony once. I think that was on a first and 10 play where, where they were going to throw a pass. That's something that we saw from Jason Garrett's playbook. What Kafka was able to do in this game, Dan, was really, really impressive. I love the play action second and goal touchdown pass to Chris Myrick, Dan, because 
they reduced David Sills, who was lined out, and they motioned him back inside towards the formation where Chris Myrick was. And that's something that they did in the previous two runs with Sterling Shepard to the opposite side of the field. And then Sterling Shepard in like a Y insert type of manner, only he's not a Y, he's a wide receiver. He inserts into the B gap and then he locates the safety or the linebacker. And then he tries to create a seal. He had an amazing block Sterling Shepard on a safety that really sprung one of Saquon Barkley's like 11 yard rushes that got them down to the goal line on that drive. Mike Kafka calls a play that looks similar to that, only with David Sills, and then he runs play action off of that, rolls Jones out towards David Sills and Chris Myrick, and then just finds Chris Myrick just sitting there. So Mike Kafka is showing the defense certain looks, running the football out of those looks, and then showing them the same looks, only passing the football, using play action to really bait and confuse those defenders and get them out of position. And that is just a way to just manipulate your opponent. And it's something that we did not see all that often when Jason Garrett was here. The sequencing of plays in that certain point for Mike Kafka was excellent, but he was doing it in a variety of different ways throughout this entire game. I thought felt like the way Mike Kafka called this game was very, very impressive. Yes, it was, Nick. And you broke down that play so beautifully. It's the element of surprise. It's setting up the play by showing something that's going to tip the defense off to look. It's going to be a run. And let's be honest, at that point, I can't fully blame the defense for guessing run when it was the previous plays were Saquon Barkley run, Saquon Barkley run, Saquon Barkley run, Daniel Jones run, uh, Daniel Jones run, Matt Breeder run, Tony run, Barkley run. And then uh, quick pass to Barkley just before that. That's like eight, eight, nine plays in a row right there of just Barkley, 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 Barkley. And so on that point, if you're the defense, you're going to probably guess that. And just executed so well by doing all the things you said, Nick, to make them so confident that they could guess run there. And we didn't get to see many of those kinds of touchdowns over the last two years, Nick. The one, the ones you just talked about where there is a guy wide open and the touchdown takes no Skill, it doesn't take any kind of, uh uh-oh, he's going to catch this, he's going to keep his feet in bounds, he's going to catch through the hit. Nothing. It's a walk-in touchdown, as you said. A free square touchdown. We have not seen many free square touchdowns for this Giants team in a long time. And I was just thinking about as we walk back to that drive, because there's a lot of good things to say about Mike Kafka. And as you mentioned, Nick, look, if this is week one, this was the debut for Kafka. As Dable said in the offseason, like, yeah, Kafka's going to call plays for week one from the box, but... I you know reserve the right to maybe take back over play calling. This isn't the type of game that he looks at and he's like, all right, I'm going to take back over play calling. This is the kind of game he looks at and he's like, I made the right call, not only to hire Mike Kafka, which was a great call, but to give him this opportunity because he did a great job in his rookie game as a play caller, right? And this is exactly what you want to see. And just to think about that drive, Nick, by the way, <laughs> take on Barkley, man. That was just an insane drive that he did. That was almost all him, that entire drive. And I think the biggest thing for me with Barkley, I want to get into Barkley now. Unless, is there more you want to touch on on Kafka? Because I don't want to rush through any of these key topics: Dable, Kafka, Barkley, Jones, the offensive line, and then the defense. But I want so I want to make sure we get to everything. Is there anything else Kafka wise, or we can kind of circle back as well? But let's keep it there for now. If there's something else you had on on tip of your tongue, yeah. So the two point conversion you brought it up. That's something that we've seen from Kansas City, right? But we, what have we talked about on the podcast, Dan, for, for two years now? We wanted to see pre-snap motion put the defense in a position that was going to basically shoot themselves in the foot. And that's exactly what happened on that two-point conversion. Mike Kafka motions Richie James, and that brings 31 Kevin Byard all the way over to that side. But not only does it do that, the re-defender on the play is the end man on the line of scrimmage. I don't know what number it is. I think he was like number 53 or something like that. And by motioning Richie James from the left to the right, 
53 expands with Richie James. And then he sees as Daniel Jones rolls in that direction, he kind of wants to close with on Richie James. And what does that do? That removes 53 from the middle of the field where the shovel pass was going to go. So you pull the backside guard, Joshua Azudu, who had a pretty damn good game. He was getting bullied a little bit in certain parts of pass protection, but in run blocking, he did really well. You pull Josh Azudu from the backside, you just have Saquon Barkley just basically find that space between 53 and then Joshua Azudu's block. Saquon Barkley catches the ball, avoids 53, and then just goes right into the end zone, man. You use pre-snap motion to your advantage to get defensive eyeballs off where you want to actually go. And we saw that in this game in little instances like that, but that is a huge high leverage spot that was well executed by Daniel Jones, well executed by Joshua Zudu, and well executed by Saquon Barkley, and it allowed the Giants to take the leap. Play calling differences here, man, it, it's it's night and day what we are seeing from Mike Kafka and what we saw last year from freaking Jason Garrett. Yeah, and you broke it down perfectly. The beauty of that two-point conversion is this. The, with the way that play is designed, as a defense, there's really not many ways you can play that but allowing for that one-on-one -on, -one on the backside with Barkley because every eyeball really should be moving in the direction of where the play is going with Jones and the entire offense. But then it, you do, it's hard to not give that one-on-one -on -one opportunity for, for the, whoever the back is or whoever is playing. Because I've seen the Chiefs use a fullback on that play and, and even a tight end at times. But it's really hard. And when, what the Giants are doing there is getting Barkley in that situation where he's in that phone booth and Barkley is back to Barkley when he's in a phone booth. He wins those more times than not. That's what we saw today. Barkley in a phone booth was winning again. And that is the biggest difference. Let's get there right now. I want to talk about Saquon Barkley right now, Nick, because... This was the best game Saquon Barkley's had since his rookie season. In some ways, in my mind, Nick, it was as good a game as I've ever seen from Barkley when you consider the circumstances, which were this. The Giants didn't, were not really getting too much going, let's be honest, with an intermediate and deep passing game. They had one deep shot, Sterling Shepard. I know they didn't really try too many things from a deep passing or intermediate passing standpoint, but not much was there, to be completely honest. There were some gimme layups, which we'll talk about with James, which were great, and then there was the big play to Sterling Shepard. So in that sense... He really had to do what he did today and put the team on his back and rack up nearly 200 yards of total offense through the air and on the ground because that was their chance to win. And this is not a Titans defense that's a bunch of slumps. They were the one seed for mostly their defense last year. They had say, they had Derrick Henry for the first half of the season. He got hurt. They had to revamp their offense, run it through You know the kid who's on Carolina now, Dante Foreman. It wasn't really any kind of high-potent offense, and they were led in a lot of ways by their defense. And so... This is no slouch of a defense to, to have the kind of game that Barkley had today. The big run, unbelievable. Great, great job, they say, when Barkley. But really, for me, what shows me the most that he's back, Nick, is the magic that he had in the red zone during his rookie season seems to be back. And that is really magic because, yeah, these plays, we'll, we'll go over them, especially once we get the tape. I can't wait, Nick. But they were well blocked, but at the same time, there was a lot of it factor there with Saquon Barkley. There was a lot of individual performance there to make those runs in the red zone happen with Saquon Barkley. He's running with the same confidence he had in his rookie season. He's running with his pads low. He's running with power. He's doing things that we haven't seen from him in a while from every standpoint, burst, elusiveness, creating uh, you know yards after contact, forcing missed tackles, all of those things, winning in a phone booth. And so to me, he was the easy game ball. And the, I, I thought Saquon Barkley was the best player on the field today. Oh, yeah. He was by far and away the best player on the football field. And I love that one touchdown run. Joshua Zudu, I put it up on my Twitter if anybody hasn't seen it. Off the combo block with John Feliciano, man, he just overpowers 97 and throws him to the ground. And Saquon notices the lane between Zudu and Andrew Thomas. He just plants his foot in the ground and explodes off it. You want to talk about burst, acceleration, just overall athletic ability wrapped up into one running back? Saquon Barkley displayed all of that. 
today. He looked like 2018 Saquon Barkley. And not just, I'm just going to dance behind the line of scrimmage. Right. There were a couple of plays where he was squared up with somebody. He lowered his shoulder and tried driving right through their face. He showed a lot of toughness, man. A lot of grit. And if this Saquon Barkley can stay like this and play like this all season, it's going to be so exciting to cover. So exciting to watch. And I'm, I'm really hoping that he can maintain this level of play because he was very impressive today. And look, we know both me and Nick are well aware of the other side of the argument that you can have a running back based offense in some ways perform at some level. Most of me and uh, our our opinion on Saquon Barkley long term just has to do with playing the numbers, long term shelf life with running backs and his injury history. But as far as what he can offer at a fully healthy rate as, as he is right now to an offense right now, it's kind of sky's the limit because what I saw today was. That same confidence, that same power, that ability to t- the decision making really to, to attack downhill. In a lot of ways, I thought he showed some nuance to his game that he hasn't at times in the past. He ran well behind his blocks at times when I wasn't expect- maybe expecting him to try to bounce out and do something different with it. Now, we know we felt like Nick watching the preseason that I was kind of hammered home by this coaching staff with all the running backs we watched in the preseason. It was a lot of like plant that foot, get vertical, but that's fine. I mean, I'm good with that. Good coaching is really important. We'll talk about that a little bit later with obviously the, you know, the big coach moment Brian Dable had with Daniel Jones after the interception but overall it's a different Saquon Barkley we've seen in a while and he is the focal point of this offense he should be the focal point of this offense and it could only get better if what you just said a little bit earlier Nick the flashes we saw from Josh Zuto if he continues to flash like that and he also adds some more consistency that I'm sure the coaches are looking for specifically from a pass blocking standpoint that could be raising the ceiling even higher for a Saquon Barkley type. If you now have a guy like Josh Azudu in there who can perform the kind of block that you broke down on that play and then start to give you maybe two, three, four, five of those in a game to help spring him in addition to what you're getting from the Neals and the Thomases and the Glowinskis in the run game and even, you know, Feliciano. So I'm very excited about the Giants run game right now, as excited as I can remember. And Saquon Barkley today proved why. And just to circle back a little bit with Kafka, because this is kind of married to Saquon Barkley. Think back to those first couple drives, Dan. They, they were pretty ugly. I mean, you had the third and five conversion to Wando Robinson. I felt like Daniel Jones did a really good job. I think that was on the second drive, if I'm not mistaken. But the pass rush of the Titans was just all over the Giants. So, so what did the Giants do? They slowed the game down, which isn't something that we love, but it's all contextual, right? You want to slow the game down to force those defensive linemen of the Tennessee Titans to read before they attack, before they pin their ears back and go after Daniel Jones, because nobody up front was able to block Jeffrey Simmons in the first quarter and going into the second quarter. Nobody can handle that dude's power, his flexibility, his speed. He's rare, dude. He's so fun to watch. The Giants were just running the football at them. What happened? They couldn't really rush the passer. They they didn't really get after Daniel Jones after that strip sack fumble. Not that much, right? And that's a credit to Mike Kafka too for changing things up a little bit. He was running to the perimeter. He was attacking the A-gaps. He was pulling Josh Azudu. He was Y-inserting players. He was using a bunch of different rushing methods to spring Saquon Barkley and allow his best player, Saquon Barkley, to thrive. Saquon Barkley was just south of 200 yards, man. And I think a lot of that was on him. But at the same time, I feel like the play calling really put him into a position to maximize the opportunities. Yeah, Nick, and we talked about this probably two, three times throughout random podcasts in the last month, but we both are pretty confident that this needs to be a run first team. This may not be our goal, you know, overall. And by run first, let's 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 back that up a little bit. It doesn't mean Seattle Seahawks Pete Carroll style run first, but it means a more run heavy team, I guess I could say, than 
past Bills offenses under Brian Dable and obviously past Chiefs offenses with Kafka working on that staff. And that could also mean, in a lot of ways, some things they tried to do in this game, and I think they're going to work in even more, Nick, moving forward, which is using Barkley as an extension of the run game via Barkley in the passing game. And we'll see that as well. And there were a lot of layups outside of Barkley, but it's a, it's a Barkley-based offense is kind of what I guess I can settle on here because he's by far their best player on the field if he's going to play like he played today because today he really looked like that rookie of the year version that we thought we were getting, you know, 2019, 2020, maybe even obviously 2020 harder recovering from that injury. But that's what it is right now. And that's how the Giants have a good formula for winning because they can hit big plays like we saw in this game if they can recognize where those opportunities are and make those plays. And let's get to that right now. If you want to, Nick, let's get to Daniel Jones today in this game, obviously led the Giants to a win, had finished the game with a touchdown and an interception, or I'm sorry, two touchdowns and an interception. What were your thoughts overall on Daniel Jones today? I thought Daniel Jones was fine. He wasn't asked to do a ton. The The interception is, is going to be the one thing that really sticks out. It's because Daniel Jones has made mistakes like this in the past. If you remember before even last season, I guess after the 2020 season, we talked about just the mistakes that Daniel Jones makes in terms of turning the football over in high leverage situations like the red zone. You throw that football and you try to squeeze it back shoulder after the Tennessee Titans give you an absolute gift by fumbling a punt. Like that's, I have to imagine that's what Brian Dable is like kind of yelling at Daniel Jones or at least discussing with Daniel Jones about, right? It's like, dude, we're given a gift and then you're just going to be reckless with the football. If you want to put that back shoulder, you got to put it back shoulder, bro. You got to throw it low to the back shoulder. Like that, that cornerback, he's, he's kind of on top of Saquon Barkley's route, but he's squared up basically with Daniel Jones. He's eyeing down Daniel Jones. He's baiting that. He wants that. And th that was just a terrible decision. I'm sure Daniel Jones would be the first person to say that was a terrible decision, but I felt like he was fine. I felt like he was Daniel Jones in a win. I like, I, I'm not, I don't have any delusions of grandeur about Daniel Jones becoming Justin Herbert or anything like that. I felt like he did a great job reading the coverage with Sterling Shepard and finding Sterling Shepard on that deep post. I felt like that was a great job. I felt like he did a good job on that third and four to Wando Robinson that I was talking about before, where he was able to maneuver the pocket and kind of get Jeffrey Simmons to run past his face, find a throwing window, deliver the football to Wandell Robinson. Hopefully he finds the football field soon after the knee injury that he suffered. But overall, I just felt like it was fine. He was resilient enough to go out there and then convert the the Chris Myrick touchdown. Yeah, it's interesting. I wanted there there felt it felt to me like there was a really big high moment and you touched on it, which was his recognition of the play that he was able to hit for Sterling Shepard. It may have not been the greatest ball ever. Obviously, we know Sterling Shepard at the full stop for the pass, but the ball did get out there and it got to the to a to a position where Shepard could catch the ball, reset his body, and then cut back and then ultimately score a touchdown. So to me, that's fine, especially given the fact that, you know, I've seen plenty of quarterbacks either overthrow that pass, Nick, or kind of under underthrow it. And more most importantly is what you said anyway, is that he recognized that that opportunity was there based on the aggressive look the Titans gave him and how it and you know how it looked post snap as well. Where he's like, all right, I have an opportunity for this deep shot. I'm going to take it. That was his high moment. Obviously you talked about the low moment, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a second. But I do think, you know, when he's 17 of 21 with 188 yards, nine nine yards per attempt, a lot influenced by the Shepherd play, but still 17 for 21. Like you said, did what he was asked to do in this game. He wasn't really asked to put this on his back. He was asked to put it on Saquon. They were they put it on Saquon Barkley's back. Of course, Saquon Barkley had more total yards than Daniel Jones threw for. So ultimately, it's a solid game. You I mean you can't? I, I, at least the way I look at it, as you said, obviously this doesn't really impact any long term opinion or anything like that. But he made some big plays on third downs. I think I thought one of the best 
plays he made, even though it wasn't the greatest ball, Nick, but it was still a good play, was the ball that Richie James dropped before the punt return fumble um, by the Titans. I mean, it got there, and it was a tough throw. Like you said to me before the podcast, and we discussed this, one of Jones's best traits is and has always been his grit and toughness in the pocket. He will take hits while making throws, and he will make throws knowing that he's going to take a hit. I thought he did a lot of that today, especially in the first half when the pass protection was worse, as you broke down, Nick, before the Giants were able to establish that running game and force the Titans to keep that, you know, to be honest as far as their pass rush went. So all of those things combined, I would say a pretty good game for Jones for sure in his first game. But I do want to talk to you about the interceptions. We talked about the high moment, which was the touchdown pass to Shepard. On the interception, I was curious if you thought that Dable's conversation with him, because, you know, I'll be honest, I thought it was excellent that Dable got in his face and gave him some really hard coaching. That's something that I think has been needed for Daniel Jones since he first got here. I've never been a big believer in the babying process of quarterbacks when they come into the NFL. I know people are like, no, you can't draft backups, good high backups. You can't put competition around him. Don't do any of that. Then it you know shows you're not confident in them. I always think like if they're going to be great quarterback, competition is only going to help them. And hard coaching is only going to help them. And he's needed it. He needed it in that spot. Like you said, he can't make that decision. But I wonder if there was anything technique-wise in your mind, Nick, that he might have said to him because – Obviously, like you mentioned, that ball can never be thrown in that spot. If you look at the play uh, that I saw the replay of, and obviously we're waiting for the all 22, but the broadcast angle, there wasn't much to work with within that route combination on that time. There wasn't anything glaringly open. You could look at it and say maybe he had a small window to throw Galladay. But at the same time, he did catch the snap, stare down Saquon the entire time before throwing a ball with very bad, not good velocity. Like that is a bad velocity throw that died on him inside and not not on the back shoulder so i wonder if there's anything technique wise do you think that dable was kind of trying to hammer home there we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. Actually, mountain spring water from the Alps. And it's called liquid death. You may see your coworkers cracking these open at the 9 a.m. stand-up meeting. But again, not beer. They're just parched, dehydrated, or just downright thirsty. And they're drinking the new mountain spring water brand called liquid death. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. So go to liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE if you want to try this tasty new Liquid Death. 
What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. I'm not sure if it was technique-wise or if it was just you have to be better with your reads there. You have to realize where 37 is and his leverage that he has on Saquon Barkley. Like Saquon Barkley wasn't threatening 37 vertically. Like 37 can right. sit. He can squat right there and just kind of flash his eyes to Daniel Jones and then just use space to just force Saquon Barkley towards the sideline because he was in good position there. Like it was like a little bit of a motion by Saquon Barkley at the snap. 37 follows him and like matches him the entire time. Just a really poor decision from Daniel Jones. There was nothing that was happening on the football field that would suggest that Saquon Barkley would have had a chance at that football, especially with the way the ball was placed. It was just kind of lofted out there like weekly, like not a lot of velocity. It wasn't really towards the sideline. It was just basically thrown directly at the cornerback. So it was a really bad play by Daniel Jones. And like we said earlier, I think Daniel Jones played fine on the whole, but that that was one that he would want back. And it's also one that, you know, we, we've seen Daniel Jones be careless with the football in this area of the field before, and we don't want that to continue. So I'm sure Dave will give him an earful. And like you said, I'm glad that he did. And hopefully Daniel Jones can learn from it. Yeah. And ultimately that was really his only major mistake. He had a read on a third down that he missed. I thought he could have hit where he's kind of a little slow in the pocket and then ran into a sack. But other than those two plays, I really didn't see much bad, which is obviously a good sign because he executed the layups, which we knew they were going to give him in this offense. And speaking of the labs, man, Richie James played a big role in this. I thought like five for 59 executing those layup type plays for the Giants. He did have the one drop where he could have definitely secured that ball, even though it did a little bit. Die. It's not it's not a per, it's not anywhere near a perfect ball. Let's be honest about it. But he still has to catch it every time. But besides that one mishap, Richie James served well in that role. I wonder who's eventually going to play that role, because obviously, as you mentioned earlier, Jones had a really good play. We thought at least to convert that third down to Wandell Robinson. Uh, and maybe it's Robinson's role. It was supposed to be Robinson's role, or eventually maybe the plans are for it to be. We don't know what that injury is going to be like. He said it's nothing after the game, but I've heard players say injuries are nothing before, and it actually ends up being something. We'll we'll, we'll wait for kind of the MRI there. X-rays don't typically show anything, but that's an interesting role that I'm curious to see who's going to play it. Today it was Richie James playing that role. I thought he did a good job in that role, Nick. What were your thoughts on his job in that role and kind of some of the those layup throws that the Giants worked into this offense? Yeah, I appreciated what I saw from Richie James. Five for 59, had the six targets, one important drop on third down, as you said. But he looked like Richie James, man. He's spry, he's quick, he's explosive. My issues with Richie James, if I were to have issues, would be in contested catch situations. I don't, I don't know how effective Richie James can be. And I base that just on the film I've seen from Richie James over the years and, and a little bit that we saw during preseason where he was in a contested catch situation and he just didn't come down with the football or he was like moving laterally and had cornerback right on his hip and, and like he should have made the catch if he was like a really good receiver he would have secured that ball but he didn't so I think that could be something that plagues him but I, I liked what I saw from Richie James I think the bigger question that surrounds Richie James is why is Richie James the player in there and not Kadarius Tony if you if you listen to the post game presser I think of what I, I don't remember which beat reporter it was but they pressed 
Brian Dable on it. And they were like, oh, so is he like just being managed because of the injuries? And Brian Dable's like, no, no, we have wide receiver packages, personnel packages, and he wasn't in these personnel packages. And we used him in the personnel packages that we wanted him. Basically saying like, from a health standpoint, it has nothing to do with them managing his reps. And what that says to me, Dan, is that Kadarius Tony might not be up to speed on the playbook. That, that has to be the reason, right? If it's not a managing of reps, I guess you could say maybe it's because he wasn't there a lot during training camp. Maybe that that's a reason why, and maybe that's a reason why he might not be up to speed on a playbook. But I found that comment from Dable during the post-game presser interesting because we did not see a lot of Kadarius Tony. I don't even know if he played 10 snaps. Yeah, I think that, like you said, Nick, it, we could tell right away as fans watching that game, it had nothing to do with the injury. Gary Stone, he caught the football or touched the football. He didn't catch the bleed. No passing targets in this game, which is not ideal in my opinion, but obviously that will change. Hopefully that's, as you said, I'll, and we'll get in, I'll get into in a moment probably, Nick, kind of up to him at this point, to be completely honest. But when he did touch the football in those design plays, he showed exactly the kind of upside that he has. The design play where he was supposed to throw the football on that trick play. First of all, it was a really heady decision by Kadarius Tony. He may not be <laughs> as far along as he probably should be, and I'll get to that again in a second in that playbook and with the timing with Daniel Jones and everything like that. But it was a heady play to not try to do anything crazy with that ball, throw it, throw an interception, to tuck it down. And then in classic Kadarius Tony fashion, he somehow turns what should be a six-yard loss into four-yard positive gain. And that's just been Tony ever since he touched the football when he's been healthy and able to stay on the field. A guy who has insane stop-and-start ability. Like, this is – anyone – I was watching with a few friends today. Literally, everyone's like, damn. Like, it's amazing to watch him stop and start on a football field. It's a next-level athlete. It's the best athlete the Giants have on the field by far after after Saquon Barkley right now. And it's not even close. But as you said, I got to be honest with you, Nick. I feel like this is not that acceptable. Like your job is to learn a playbook in time for the season. You know who did that? Wondell Robinson. You know who did that? Kenny Galladay, Richie James, Chris Myrick. And I don't want to say Chris Myrick, but any of these receivers who are playing on the field. I mean, hell, they felt comfortable putting Sterling Shepard on the field, a guy who barely practiced with the team the entire summer. And yet he was further along wherever they feel he needed to be to get more snaps. And that's not exactly exactly. And that's not, that's on him. Like this is his job. This is his livelihood. He's expected to do this. And so I'm not going to sit here and, and criticize the kid because I don't know the details fully of the story. None of us do. We'll never know. Brian Dable's not going to tell us and he's not going to tell us. And the beat reporters aren't going to get a beat on this type of thing. But all I know is what I see on paper. And what I see on paper, Nick is, Wondell Robinson, Richie James, Sterling Shepard, a bunch of other people far along enough in the playbook to play a lot of snaps and Kadarius Tony not. And that's it's obviously an issue. I hope it's something can resolve itself fast. Maybe this is kind of like Brian Dave will kind of be like, you know, a little kick on the butt. Like, let's, let's get going, buddy. Let's let's we, you got to be out here, but you got to be out. If you want to be out here, you got to prove that you can be out here type of thing. Yeah, and it's speculation on our part. It could be something else. It's just when, when you think about it, Kadarius Tony is by far and away from a receiver standpoint, the most talented guy that the New York Giants have. Why would he not be out there much yeah. more, right? So like that's just kind of us speculating, but I mean, it's definitely plausible. It's definitely plausible. And I think it's a problem for the Giants right now when they're dealing with an injury of Wondell Robinson right now. We don't know how serious it is, but Again, he says it's not serious. Maybe he's back this week. I feel like that's going to miss at least maybe a week or two, right? Even if it's not serious. And when you have a situation where, let, let's be honest, the Giants weren't really able to get the passing game moving through the receivers today. They had two receptions for Sterling Shepard. One was a bomb. They had two receptions for Kenny Galladay that averaged 11 yards in reception. One for Wandale and five for Richie James. The rest of it was six to Barkley and one to Chris Myrick. 
And that, that was 17 completions they had right there. So the passing game is not exactly working well through the receivers, at least at this point. That's okay. They didn't need to today. Like we said, it was fine. But ultimately, we need it to we need Kadarius Tony to be one of the guys who's catching five, six, seven balls a game. Yeah, and we know this playbook, just dating back to training camp. I remember listening to like Schmelke's podcast and some of the other podcasts. When they would interview the players, every player who was a receiver was like, Yeah, man, this this is this is a tough playbook. Like I played XYZ, I played here. Like this this is a tough playbook. So it's not the easiest playbook to digest. It feels like it has to be the reason. We'll never like we said, we'll never know. But again, if it is the reason, I, it's just hard for me to get over because I just know a lot of these other guys are doing it. They're out there. They're, they feel comfortable playing players that even like, again, in Sterling Shepard's case, he wasn't even there all offseason. They're comfortable trotting him out there. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep tabs on that, obviously. But again, uh, if you want a silver lining with it, it was easy to see with your own two eyes. It was what he was able to do with the football as usual once he gets it. And that's create yards. He's just a yard creator. That's the best way I can describe this, Nick. Dude, like that freaking trick play should have been a negative six. It's plus four. That's 10 yards that he just simply created on his own. And you know when he gets that ball and he started to make that cut back across the grain, it's like he's going to find a way to weave in and out and create yards. He never does like the stupid like run all the way to the sideline and try to beat the guy around the edge, like have so much confidence in his speed. He has confidence in his ability to cut and stop on a dime and restart. And that's what you always see when he makes those cutback runs and when he catches the ball. And, and really any of the times he has the ball after contact or before contact, it's his. he knows I'm going to stop and start and trick some defenders and beat some guys to spots and get extra yards. So I want to see him on the field, obviously, but that's we're going to trust the coaching staff. And more importantly, he's got to prove to them that he can do it. So one more receiver I want to talk about, a couple more receivers. Let's start with, we got to James, we got to Robinson. Galladay today, Nick, uh, not much to say except for this. Shout out Kevin Appenzel. I was watching the game with him, big time Giants fan, listener of the podcast. And before the game, we were joking around and he wanted me and we're, we're just having fun with it. And he's like, wanted me to set a line over under for Kenny Galladay receiving yards. What do you think I predicted, Nick? Ooh, I would say 31 yards. 19 and a half. I'm Vegas level good. The dude had two for 22. <laughs> I hit a Vegas level type big there right there. Like put a Vegas line on that son of a gun. 19 yards and he got 22. So I was pretty close or 19 and a half I had. I had. So he got the 22. Not ideal, obviously. But like we said, it wasn't that type of game plan. Sterling Shepard, another receiver I want to get to, Nick. One of the easiest players I've rooted for in, since he got to the Giants and in this exact period of since Shepard was drafted until now. By far and away, one of my favorite Giants. was really happy when they came to terms to keep him here. was shocked and surprised and pleasantly surprised with his ability to get back on the field for a season opener, despite not really practicing, despite coming back from such a major injury in such a short period of time. I thought he looked pretty good out there, man. The touchdown he had was pretty vintage Shep. I know they're not really using him that crazy yet. Like, if he can get back to full health, I think he could, again, play that layup role that Richie James is playing right now better than anybody on this roster. In my opinion, he plays that role the best. Um, and so, eventually, maybe it gets there, but it's such a good story right now. Dude, the block I put on Twitter that he threw on the second and five run with like a minute and a half left in the game, he just motions in and then just squeezes between the the tackle and the tight end Daniel Bellinger I believe it was and he just absorbs this dude and then just creates a seal Barkley hits it right off his ass dude great read by Barkley just an excellent tough block by Sterling Shepard like does anybody embody just being a tough SOB a New York giant a blue collar type of wide receiver than a Sterling Shepard this dude does not get discussed enough in terms of his blocking ability. The guy is always downfield throwing blocks. The guy is always doing the 
dirty, gritty type of work, man. Like I, I'm so glad that he's back here being a New York Giant. I think he sets an excellent example in the locker room. And with plays just like that, yeah, you had the touchdown, but little plays like that, you throw a block in line that springs a Saquon Barkley run to set up the game-winning touchdown. That's an awesome play. If anybody hasn't seen it, go check out my Twitter. Yeah, Nick put up a great clip, and that's been the case for him his whole career. I think with the exception of maybe Ike Hilliard, he's the best pound-for-pound pound blocking receiver I've ever seen on the Giants. Pound-for-pound, pound, of course. I mean, usually you've had some you, – you expect the blocking receiver to have the frame for it. He doesn't exactly have the frame for it, and it just doesn't matter. You saw him make an insane block if you watch the clip on Nick's page, and obviously go look at it if you haven't. But he's also made plays in the past where he's chased down, like ran down long Saquon Barkley breakthroughs and made blocks downfield just effort, full effort plays. He just gives everything to every block he ever tries to make. And he, man, he's easily every, like you can see it as a fan. I think we all have seen this and can see this. I know some people are, have been and are down on Sterling Shepard because he never stays healthy for a season. And, and in, in some ways, some people have told me they're down on him because he's just never really proved to be that alpha they maybe thought or hoped they could get from an early second round pick. Like, you know, it's happened in the past with the Michael Thomas, AJ Brown, whatever. I get all of that. But at the same time, you can't say that when he's on the field, he's not one of the players giving the maximum effort compared to the rest of anybody on both sides of the ball throughout the years because he gives maximum effort not just when he's running his routes and making his catches. He gives maximum effort as a blocker too, despite his size, as you said, Nick. So, yeah, it was awesome to see. And he's, he's trending toward having a really cool comeback story for the Giants, I think, this season. I want to talk to you a little bit about the role of the Giants run blocking in this game because we talked all about the receivers. We talked a little bit about Saquon Barkley and the kind of explosive impact he had on this game and and Daniel Jones as well. But what about the run blocking? Because this wasn't exactly an easy matchup. I know they're down Harold Landry, but Harold Landry is more of a pass rusher anyway for the Titans. And so we did think this was the one way to get to them. But at the same time, you still have to execute. You still have to execute those blocks. So what was some of the things you saw that really impressed you about the run game and has you feeling like maybe we do have one of the better run games in place that we've had at least for week one of a season a while. Again, like we had that stretch in 2020. I don't want to take anything away from it. Where Wayne Gallman was running his butt off. But as far as 20, as far as from week one, like that week one moment when you start the season, this is the best the run blocking has looked in a long time. Yeah, I brought up a lot of what I wanted to say just when we talked about Mike Kafka, but I love the fact that they were using the zone read. They were using the RPO. I felt like Daniel Jones operated well with both of those decisions. I felt like I think the first play of the game, he probably missed an opportunity to keep the zone read because the backside end crashed pretty hard on Saquon Barkley. That's neither here nor there, though. But Mike Kafka was calling one hell of a game, like I said, in terms of the rushing attack, in terms of pulling backside guards, in terms of using the wide receivers as blockers in line, in terms of just using duo blocks, getting those combo blocks, allowing your offensive lineman to climb to the second level, and then just trusting your running back to find the most advantageous hole to pick up the best yardage. And Saquon Barkley was really hot today, not just from a explosive standpoint, but from a vision standpoint, from a decision-making standpoint, in terms of setting up his blocks and reading his blocks and allowing them to materialize and then accelerating through the hole once those blocks are actually taken into effect from just owning the point of attack. It was a struggle early on, especially as in pass protection, but once Kafka started relying on the run and slowing down the pass rush and, and the and the football was starting to matriculate down the field as as Hank Stram would say. The Giants offensive line was doing a good job. I felt like the pullers were doing a really good job and I felt like they were just blocking in unison together and it's kind of hard to really evaluate it from a, a broadcast angle, but just from what I right. saw on the broadcast, they were pushing bodies and creating holes and it wasn't even just like one defined hole, like there were multiple holes. Tennessee 
also was being very aggressive and trying to stop Saquon Barkley and the blocking and Saquon Barkley was making that aggression pay and also the play calling of Kafka because when they were really getting overly aggressive, really crashing hard down the line of scrimmage, what was it? Boot, play action, roll out, Daniel Jones right. pick up a couple yards or there was a crosser coming from the backside and I felt like the play calling really took advantage of the fact that the defense was trying to overcompensate for Saquon Barkley. I think you said that perfectly right there at the end, Nick. Like, it may have not been Daniel Jones' best day as a runner. I actually thought this was one of the worst I've ever seen Jones as just a pure runner for some odd reason. I don't know what it was. Maybe he's playing a little hurt or something. I don't know. That's not, I'm not speculating on that, but it just felt a little like he wasn't running the same. But at the same time, I was so excited for them to have the confidence to call those plays because that's free yards in the NFL. When you have those QB runs, it's free yards. And not only that, like you said, more importantly than even just creating free yards is what you said, which is getting him on the bootleg and getting them to respect that he will, he may be running that bootleg. He may keep the ball. It may not go right to the running back and he might be rolling to a side and you have to then defend him on that perimeter. And eventually Jones is going to get in a groove from a runner. We've seen it enough in his profile. That he's going to get in that groove and make defenses pay. Like he averaged 4.2 yards per carry over six carries today. If he gets six carries a game, which I think is definitely feasible for him. And I think they're considering that a big part of the offense, just like they did with uh, just like Dable did at least with Brian or with Josh Allen over in Buffalo, he's going to break some bigger ones and he's going to have a better average. And that to me is also pretty exciting because 238 yards on the ground today for the giants over 32 carries. That's a 7.4 yards per carry average. That's not what we've seen in a long time from a giants, nearly 250 rushing yards and just completely controlling the line of scrimmage from a run game standby. Not everything was perfect. Like you said, but they did spring a lot of bring, big blocks they made a lot of good plays i thought on the long barkley run i want to see this one on tape nick because i thought gawinski did an excellent job executing his assignment on that on that long run that was almost for the touchdown and just a few other plays i'm going to want to keep an eye on the 68 yard run was was well executed it was just halfback basically followed i'm not sure if it was counter i, I don't remember i don't have the video in front of me but they pulled two players and azudu i think was one of the lead blockers and daniel bellinger did a really good job like blocking down. So it was basically a pin pull concept. Daniel Bellinger took Bud Dupree and just blocked him down the line of scrimmage. Two pullers came around. Azudu kicked out the the number 26, I think it was. Can't remember who it was, but they led block and just took out the linebacker. So it was basically a one-on-one between the alley defender and Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley just outran him to the sideline and just accelerated upfield. Could have took that one and housed it, but it was a good pursuit by one of those defenders. But man, little things like that, dude. The fact that you can spring runs that we haven't seen sprung since 2020, really. And even then, it was it was pretty sparing. It wasn't something that happened every single game. Right. It's damn encouraging. And mind you, this is also a defense. And yes, they've lost some pieces on defense. But like you said, Harold Landry's a little bit more of a pass rusher. This is a defense, I think, that was second in the NFL last year in, in yards per game, rushing yards per game. Like, wow. there, there were good run defense. Now, I think a lot of that is also because they were a ball control offense and they didn't necessarily control the ball a lot in this game. But still, they're a stout run defense. And the Giants were able to run the football down their freaking throats. Yeah, that's a great point, Nick, because, you know, they're not falling too far off that tree. If they were second in that regard last year, maybe they're not the same defense, but still easily a top 10. And the Giants are able to do it. And it's been like a steady drumbeat, surprisingly enough, for this offensive line from a run blacking standpoint. From the first that we've seen really from that scrimmage at the Giants Fan Fest through the preseason, through some of those training camp practices, and now into week one. 
where they didn't stop. It wasn't an example of, well, maybe they could block it up in the preseason or maybe they could block it up uh, when they're playing against themselves. But can they actually do it in a real game against a tough run defense that last year was a great run defense, an elite run defense in some ways? And yes, they were able to do it. This offense line continues to play, like you said, with continuity and together and make spring plays in the run game that we just haven't seen on a consistent basis. And like you said, it wasn't even really that consistent in 2020 in that stretch run. It felt kind of consistent just because we had so much inconsistency before it that the bar was set so low in everyone's mind. It's just the natural psychology of life. But today it was more of like, no, no, no. This was something we think we can actually move forward with and build on and get to a level that we haven't been at in a long time. And that's, to me, the most exciting development of today, Barkley and the run game overall and what they were capable of doing because we'll get to it now or we can get to it in a moment. But the defense played, in my opinion, a huge role in winning this game. So one more thing I want to touch on with the run game, actually, Nick, and I want to get your take on. Maybe it's something we can opine on after we watch the All-22 film this week and go over that. But Saquon Barkley did get, and I know, again, a lot of this is from the 68-yard run, but not all of it, 140 of his 164 yards running to his left, where he had eight carries for 140, a 17.2 yards per carry average. Now, again, 68 on one carry, but still did a lot of damage on those other carries. And those other seven carries still averaged nearly seven yards a carry, or I'm sorry, nearly 10 yards a carry, it looks like. So ultimately, do you think there's something to the Giants finding more success running to the left? I would like to probably see the all 22, but you have Andrew Thomas over there. And Andrew Andrew Thomas is an absolute stud. And I felt like Azudu did a good job, but a lot of those runs were also pull. So they were blocking down. Andrew Thomas, when he blocks down, is absolutely dangerous. When I when I mean blocking down, it means you, basically you either have a defender who is directly over top of you. If I'm Andrew Thomas as a left tackle or maybe slightly inside, like a four-eye shade, and you basically just take him and you wash him towards the center. So you're just blocking him down. You're pinning him that direction and then typically you pull the backside guard or the backside tackle or whomever from the other way and then they lead block for Saquon Barkley. It's power gap type of concepts and it's something that the Giants ran a lot uh, against Tennessee, which is something that thought maybe we'd see a little bit more zone. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it seemed like there were a lot more power gap type of concepts than there was uh, like zone rushing other than the zone read that they did a good job running. Yeah. And you did a great job of break, breaking that down there, Nick. And we'll obviously need the, the film to look at it, but regardless, nonetheless, it's exciting when you get, like you said, the bread and butter for Andrew Thomas is when he's been asked to block down. He's done a great job of that since Georgia through even his rookie season when he struggled as a pass blocker. Even then, he was still doing a good job of that. Now, obviously, he's also evolved into this kind of elite level island pass protector. But just that stock just keeps going up there. And it's just the one great thing Gettleman did was locate one. There were two offensive linemen to get out of those four. And I'm not saying Jedrick Wills is going to be a bust. He could still be a very good player. But I think I feel pretty confident saying that Andrew Thomas is going to be a considerably better tackle. There were two guys to get in that class. He got one of the two and he got the one playing left tackle, which at least, you know, deserves. I'm not the biggest believer as I guess some others are Nick. And there's this massive difference between having a left tackle versus a right tackle. As far as the asset goes, there are still a lot of great pass rushers coming from the opposite side against those right tackles. But as far as, you know, protecting for a a right-handed quarterback on his blind side, that still has value. And so he got by what I think is by far and away the best left tackle in that class. So great job by him. It's rare that I get a chance to give him kudos. But as you see, he's obviously earned it when it comes to Andrew Thomas, who played a huge role in, in, like you said, those runs that we sprung on the left side, but also obviously the job he did in pass protection. 
yeah, it was excellent in this game. And it's just exciting having two tackles. I mean, I just feel like it's been so yeah. long since the Giants yeah. were able to to say anything like that. And Evan Neal, I mean, I, I didn't like study just his film intently. I will. And by the way, if anybody's new to the podcast, we come out with two all 22 episodes. It will be dropping here in the next two days or so, either Tuesday or Wednesday morning. And maybe probably Tuesday, but we'll see where we go in depth. We get the film, the coaches film, the all 22 film, and we dive in depth analysis on what happened, the X's and O's and player evaluation. So those some of our best work and we'll be doing one on the offense, one on the defense. And we'll be talking a lot about Evan Neal and Andrew Thomas and, and just everything about this game. It's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And Nick nailed it. That is the goal. That is the core of the podcast. The core is we watch this all 22 coaches film. We dissect it. We run it back. We talk to each other about it. And then we talk about it with you on the podcast. And the goal is to show the how and the why of what happened because we all see Saquon Barkley have this long touchdown run, but we want to uncover the how and the why because that can lead us to what's going to happen. It, we hope that it can help us predict what's going to happen in the future and what the Giants should do in the future. And so I'm really excited to dive into that. It's so good. I love those on game on winning game days, Nick. Like for I me, know. it's a, such a different watch when I'm doing the film on the losses versus the wins. It's just such a different watch. You want to know the crazy thing too, Dan? Our first game together was week three 2019 that was our first podcast and that was the first daniel jones start where he goes to tampa bay and wins we haven't had a game like it since then until today we have not had a game when they've had since that game it's insane we've we've been doing big blue banter it seems like forever and that was the first game we ever covered together and i honestly believe that today is is the the best win that we've seen since then yeah, it's by far and away the best win we've seen since then. It's been the most meaningful win we've seen since then. That was an insanely meaningful win. I don't think this game, I was talking about a little bit online with, with a couple of our listeners, Nick. I don't think this game can surpass this that one because that one has a lot of other things attached to it. Like I had ungodly <laughs> hopes and optimism for Daniel Jones after that game. I put him on an insane pedestal. I'm like, oh my God, did we just, re- what did we just, what did I just watch today? Did I just watched a quarterback roll to his left and connect with a receiver, Darius Slayton, 60 yards down the field for like a game went for a bomb. That gives him like, that was ungodly. That was one of his best <laughs> throws of, of his, best career. Throw of his career. Most likely it was, so far, at least it was the best throw of his career. I think I can't think of anyone I would put above it. And that one will be tough to top, but this one's close, man. This one is the best win since because, again, they went into this, started as five-and-a-half-point underdogs, or you really started, I think, as five it was. And that line jumped all the way up, almost to seven. Everyone was betting the tight ends. The quote-unquote sharp money was coming in on the tight ends. And how can you blame them? Giants were without their best two pass rushers. They have a weird left guard situation. They have no NFL-level linebackers, to be completely honest, and coverage, at least. We, we saw that exposed today, and that will continue to be exposed all season they don't really have what they need yet at corner and overall despite all of that they came in they beat a one seed from last season in the afc in their home in their home like that's just an insane victory to pull off so uh, it's amazing to be a fan right now i think of the team at this stage because after this win nick i look at it like the giants it's at least now in the realm of possibilities nick that the Giants can fight for a wild card spot. This is not me saying that I'm doing a full 360 and or you know full 180 flip here and be like they're making the wild card. I guarantee it. We're nine and eight. That's my new prediction. But I'm saying is what this gives us is the possibility in our head, right? If they can go on the road and beat a Titans team, why can't they beat a Panthers team? Why can't they beat a lot of these weird, pretty bad quarterbacks that are on the schedule right now? Dude, like, they got Dallas on Monday Night Football without yeah, Dak Prescott. Prescott, most likely. Yeah, 
They're going to have Dallas now, potentially without back, back Prescott. Who knows if that's one or two games? It's almost definitely going to be the week three game against Cooper Rush. Um, and, you know, that to me now becomes more winnable as well. And that was one of the tougher games left on the schedule, right? It's like Titans, Cowboys times two, Eagles times two. Maybe the Washington football team can be Baltimore. Thrifty. Baltimore, of course. Packers, Packers and Minnesota and Minnesota. And, and right. And it's like all the other games feel at least after this one to me, like they can win because if they can, again, it's a tight, it's, this is one of their tougher wins to co- overcome, especially week one, especially on the road, on the road especially against a team that's like coming in with the same coach and the same kind of culture in place. This is a tough spot for the rookie coach coming in. You know, he has practiced less with the offense. He has fewer reps of the, the system in place on both sides of the ball. That's a bigger thing to overcome. And again, the Giants did for the first time in history today, Nick, they won a game after trailing by 13 or more at the half in a season opener. That was according to Katie Sharp. That's that I was mind blowing to me. They've never done that before in their team's history. And it's just a total opposite of where this franchise has been doing for years now, losing these close games or even in some ways, you know, turning what was, you know, a good comeback or a valiant effort at the end. Of, that was a close loss. It was a confidence loss type of thing into an actual win. into something where you can look at the win column. They're one and oh, they now won this game. This game might be at the end of the season. Like when they look back, if they could potentially make this wild card push. Well, they did beat the Titans week one. And that kind of props them into an opportunity to have this chance now in week 17 or week 18. We'll see. It's obviously looking far down the line and a lot of things can change. But I do feel like that's more of an opportunity now, Nick, than I did feel before today. Absolutely. And we should talk a little bit about the defense. A lot of defense. Yeah. yeah before we gonna, get out of again, here, we, we, we can't, we can't, I was correct. There's so much to cram into these podcasts. So obviously for a further, we did a lot on the offense, but I want to say as far as what we're going to do on the defense, will probably be a little truncated and a lot will come out on that all 22 pod. But Nick, let's talk about the defense. The key objective of this thing since day one, when you saw that video on Giants.com where they kind of gave you like, oh, here's a minute and a half of Wink Martindale talking to his players because we know weirdos like you, Nick and Dan, will eat this stuff up and watch every minute of it and die and live and die by these words. But when he's in that room teaching the players, Wink, he's like, nothing is going to happen on this defense if we don't stay disciplined and we don't stop the run first. It all starts with us stopping the run. And that was what he's committed to do in this game. And Derrick Henry had 82 yards on 21 carries, 3.9 yards per carry, a long run of 18 in this game, Nick. An unbelievable job by Wink Barndell to get objective one accomplished for the Giants in week one. Oh, they did such a fantastic job. They were aligning in tight fronts a lot, man. They, they, there was one personnel package, Dan, where it was DJ Davidson as a four-eye, Jelly, Justin Ellis at nose, and then Nick Williams as a four-eye. Just beef, beef, beef. And they had, what, I think five guys on the line of scrimmage for the majority of snaps. At least yes. it seemed like that, right? But they had five guys on the line of scrimmage for a lot of these snaps, and two of them were edge rushers. And I got to say, man, Jahad Ward, and even O'Shane Zimenez, but a little bit more so maybe Jahad Ward had such a good game. I can't wait to watch the All-22 on this guy, man, because we said going into this that he was going to be a pivotal part of stopping the run game. And, man, he was setting such a firm freaking edge to, to really force everything inside. And when you do that, when you set that edge, whenever a tackle tries to get you off, you set that edge like, okay, you can try to bounce it outside, but I'm here to just shed this, and then I'm going to force you and elongate your path towards the sideline to other contained defenders, and we're going to make a tackle. You cut that stuff back inside where you have Justin Ellis, DJ Davidson, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and then the linebackers penetrating gaps. That's a way you clog up rushing lanes. And they did a really good job, the Giants, just stopping Derrick Henry in his tracks. And the defense, they, they, they have their issues, man, and we'll go over that in a little bit. But in terms of the run defense, they came up 
huge in several different spots, but none bigger, Dan, none bigger than the first drive of the second half when it was 13, nothing. And the Tennessee Titans hit a, like a seven or eight yard play on first down. I think it was a run too. And we're like, Oh my God. And then they tried to do a halfback pitch tied down and called a halfback pitch to Derrick Henry and Dexter Lawrence made one heck of a play. He tracked Derrick Henry down the line of scrimmage and tackled him to set up a third and one, I think. And that's when Derrick Henry kind of bobbled this, the wild cat snap and then he ended up getting like just swarmed by Giants defenders. That sequence of plays right there was huge for the New York Giants. And what a great individual effort for Dexter Lawrence. And again, that's not going to show up on the statue other than just a tackle, but that is a gigantic play from a gigantic man. Yeah, and you're right. Sometimes it's harder for us to realize that in the moment, I think, because if you look at one like something the Titans did, for example, in the first half, where they really drain the clock out on one of their touchdown drives, if the Giants don't get that stop there with that sequence of plays, they may turn that into some kind of long drive where we're losing six, seven minutes of game clock. And that's the difference in the end. The Giants don't have time to make the comeback because game clock is churning and they're probably putting three points on the board via field goal or even seven. And so those are the types of plays that make a difference. And like you said, I was just so impressed with what Mike, with what Wink Martindale had to work with in this game, which is obviously at this point, let's be completely honest about the situation, not really NFL caliber level linebacker talent. That's just the fact of the matter. He says, look, you know, he talked about this to Blake. When people ask him about Blake this week, he's like, look, I think the whole definition of a linebacker is changing in today's NFL. If you need obvious, you need speed on the field. The Giants are going to work toward getting players like that eventually on this roster. They started trying to do that this all season by bringing in Micah McFadden via the draft. And that will continue on as we move forward. But right now, he doesn't really have great stuff to work with at linebacker. It's showing up even more in the passing game, and I think it will continue to where they're at an even bigger disadvantage. But as far as this goes, they shut down a run game despite not really having great linebacker play. That's a big thing, too. Like you said, a lot of it was game plan. A lot of it was schematics from Wink Martindale, keeping five guys on a line of scrimmage, having those beefy patches like you talked about. And it sounds weird to say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. Those beefy oh, we're, packages. Clipping, we're clipping that, bro. Beefy yeah, packages. Beefy packages like you're talking about <laughs> on the defensive line where they have those three guys up front condensing the line, you know, making it so difficult for this run game to get going at all costs. And why not? That should be the game plan in a game like this when you're looking at the matchup. Make get that constrained right like you don't need to open it up and broaden it up and be like well maybe we need to worry about robert woods who hasn't practiced with his team at all is coming off a major injury maybe we need to work and worry a lot more about Traylon burks maybe we need to worry a lot more about uh austin hooper and whoever else the, the guy with the long name that sucks westbrook akeen or whatever that i hate is like taking away snaps from the guys i want on the field maybe we were worry a little bit more about Phillips. no don't worry about them worry about derrick henry make that your main objective stop him and see if anything can be done about that. And to be honest, with the exception of some really good throws by Tannehill, including what could have been the game winner if they made that field goal to Kyle Phillips, which is by far and away the best throw of the game by either quarterback. Nothing even can compared to that throw that he made right there. Besides some plays, they really didn't do a good job of taking advantage of how aggressive the Giants were in stopping Derrick Henry. And that's why it was the right game plan and the right Game planning by Wink Martindale, who I thought had, again, you talked about Kafka had a great debut game for the Giants on that side of the ball. I thought Wink had a great debut game for the Giants on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of key third down stops, a lot of forcing them into field goals in the red zone, and a lot of situations where he showed that he understood the right idea to beat this Titans team right now. 
I felt like Todd Downing did a good job taking advantage of that aggressive style from Wink in terms of stopping the run in the first half, specifically in the first quarter. I mean, they drove down the field. How many times did Tannehill roll out bootleg action, get rolling to his side, and then there was just a wide-open crossing route because the Giants were running man coverage, and it's difficult to cover the horizontal cross in man coverage, especially when you're pursuing the run, and that's your main objective. But then he kind of strayed away from it a little bit and just went to pounding the rock with Derrick Henry and the Giants did a good job, got them in, you know, third and manageable. And then what they do? They rose to the occasion when they had to. The Giants' defense was very opportunistic in terms of stopping the Titans in those third and short, in those third and manageable type of situations. And I'm very proud and happy for them in those situations, especially in the red zone, too, forcing those field goal attempts and just coming up big. But, man, there were a couple plays. There were a couple third and fives, third and fours, plays like that, man, where you just got to tip your cap to to the Giants defense, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, players like that, and even Tay Crowder and Austin Calitro. Yeah, they're not NFL caliber linebackers that you necessarily want to start, but there were plays, the, the wildcat play that I was referencing before, where Tay Crowder shot the gap so quickly, avoided the block, and then just hit Derrick Henry. Austin Calitro flew off the edge to get him from the backside, and Tom and Fox also shed his block to make the tackle. You have these young players, these inexperienced players, or these players that struggle in other areas of their game, Tay Crowder, making big plays in huge situations. So I felt like there were elements of the linebackers that played really well, elements of their game that looked really good on paper. But then there were other things that we'll probably get into in a little bit that were definitely exploited by Todd Downing and Ryan Tannehill. I think you broke it down well because that goes, in my mind at least, Nick, hand-in-hand with what Wink Martindale said. He expects for the evolution of the linebacker position with the New York Giants, at least under his tenure, to look like, which is going to be guys that have the athleticism to make plays firing downhill and shooting the gap. Like Again, it's not always going to work out as drawn up up or planned, but like you said, on that hit that Tay Crowder had, that was incredible. You know, that was a credible play by him on that. He is good at times on this field. When we talk about Tate Crowder being a liability, it's not like every single snap he's awful on. He's good when he moves downhill aggressively. He's got weird kind of athleticism. That's the odd part. Like it's the athleticism that allows him to be a bit of a force in some ways. I could say it's a, probably a little bit of an exaggeration, but somewhat of a force moving downhill but not at the same time the athleticism allows them to be competent in pass coverage for whatever that, like however that translates, but you're using him, you know, it's all on coaching now to use what he has in the right ways, obviously, and try to limit the things that they can't do. So if you want, we can get into that right now. The giants were obviously attacked via the air in this game in ways we didn't expect with Dontrell Hilliard. I mean, Dontrell (laughs) Hilliard had three catches for 61 yards and two touchdowns in this game, including a 31-yard. I mean, no one expected Dontrell Hilliard to go off like this, but the Titans obviously did. They clearly looked at the Giants roster and what they had to work with and their personnel and said, we are going to light these linebackers up in pass coverage. And that was something the Giants struggled in this game. It's something I think they're going to struggle with all season long, Nick. It's not something that I think can be coached up, really, because I don't think you can do everything on the football field at once. We'll get into some other things the Giants didn't do well on defense, too. It's not like it was just this. They didn't really rush the passer that well. Though, again, there weren't too many opportunities for it. Like you said, there was a run-heavy game plan from Todd Downing and the Titans, but it really rushed the passer that well with the injuries, obviously, of course. But as far as the coverage goes to the linebackers, Uh, what would you suggest could happen that could make this look better for the Giants? And what was happening to allow Dontrell Hilliard to kind of go off like he did in the passing game? It was definitely obvious that Todd Downing circled the Giants linebackers like, all right, whenever we're in the red zone, we're going to exploit the fact that Tay Crowder and Austin Calitro are the starting linebackers. Like the the one play, the first touchdown, Calitro was in coverage to Hilliard. It was a two by two set from the Titans 
both of the receivers were stacked. So you have one receiver on the line of scrimmage and then one receiver directly behind him reduced everything inside the numbers in the middle of the field. And you have, you have Hilliard to the boundary side. So basically what the Titans do is they run the receiver who's on the line of scrimmage to that play side, just on a deep horizontal cross. That's going to occupy the safety. And then you run the receiver that's off the line of scrimmage on that side, basically to the flag. And what's that going to do? That's going to take that cornerback and just expand him. And it's just going to create this huge area basically on the numbers where it's going to be Austin Calitro isolated against Dontrell Hilliard, who's going to have free reign to go inside, outside, or vertical. And that puts Calitro in a position that's pretty damn difficult because he has to be like, where's this guy going to go? So Calitro has to square up to him. And then by that point, Hilliard's just a better athlete. and He just runs a vertical. And there's no way the safety can get over because the safety is occupied by the over route. And there's no way that the cornerback can get over because he's dealing with the flag or the you know, basically the flag route from before. So that's the touchdown against Austin Calitro. That's excellent scheming. The, the read was to Hilliard, you know, that it was a direct attack on Austin Calitro. And then Crowder just is slow to read Dontrell Hilliard on the touchdown against him, whereas two verticals to that side. So basically Hilliard ends up being the third receiver to that side. So it's going to be on Crowder to take the flat there because both the number one and the number two receiver go vertical. So it's going to be on the apex defender and the cornerback to carry both of those vertical with the, with the safety in the middle of the field. So it's, got to be on Crowder to flare out to the flat to match Dontrell Hilliard. And he doesn't, he kind of carries the number two initially. And then he realizes they're both vertical. And then he gets out to the flat by that point, Hilliard catches the pass and there's just so much space. We saw Scott Turner do the same thing to the New York giants in week two last year. Like whenever Crowder's out there, he gets targeted and it's not even like you said, he's not a bad athlete, but he can be, definitely exploited by athletic running backs like a Dontrell Hilliard or like a JD McKissick. And I feel like it's something the giants are going to have to deal with all season because they know Wink Martindale is going to be in man coverage so much. And they know that they could take advantage of this weakness. Yeah. I don't think exactly. It's maybe something we can fix this year. Like I said, but there could be ways to scheme around that. I trust that if someone's going to do it, it's Wink Martindale. He'll figure something out for this, or at least a way to may- maybe make it come less of a burden for this defense. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about, the job the Giants did in the passing defense. So first, let's talk about the pass rush today. Anything that you saw that stood out to you from a pass rushing standpoint? I thought O'Shane Zimenez had one really nice play where he flew around the the tackle and, and one high side to, to force an overthrow in the end zone. But other than that, it wasn't really that potent. You didn't really see that much of it. Tannehill was getting football out of his hands and the Giants weren't really getting any kind of pressure on him. Leonard Williams kind of flushed him out of the pocket one time, but it wasn't all that much. And in terms of the coverage, Dan, they were getting eaten up by those horizontal crosses and no. those deep overs in the first half. It, it was It was pretty bad and it seemed like downing straight away from that for some reason, but the Giants were really struggling with that. And even sometimes when they were in really good coverage with Darnay Holmes on that Kyle Phillips play that you were referencing a little bit before, the throw from Tannehill was elite in imperfect placement with great touch that Darnay Holmes couldn't really do anything about it. And I also feel like the Giants, they just get grabby. They just get grabby a lot. And that's something that Darnay Holmes has struggled with. I personally didn't think the Aaron Robinson play was a penalty. Uh, and it wasn't called either, but I know a lot of people were discussing that. Do you remember that play with, with Traylon Burks, yeah. who was like running vertical and everyone was like, oh, wow, they missed a call there. I was like, I, I don't really think so, man. I, I looked to me like Traylon Burks was falling down on the play. And then like Robinson, they kind of got a little tangled up. I was actually good with that. No call and call me a homer. I, I don't really think I am, but I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are there. No, you're not a homer on that. I, I was getting super frustrated on that last drive just because it was like, and the Giants always find a way to lose these. It, it, you know, you have to be, we had to, I at least, Nick, 
had to be convinced that it could happen before I could believe it. I had yeah. to see it actually happen. The Giants win one of these close games where they make these plays at the end. And they give you that hope, and then it doesn't get snatched away. We had it last year with the Saints. We had it this year with this game so far, one for one on it. But I was getting frustrated when they were just calling, you know, these drive extending penalties. The Giants had multiple of them in this game. That obviously but those were penalties, though. No, they yeah. were penalties, right? Yeah. Those ones actually were penalties. I don't mean frustrated from the standpoint of oh, the ref screwed us. Frustrated with the Giants for committing these penalties, type of thing, more so is what they were. Yeah, doing. yeah, yeah, hundred percent. No, I, I, I was in the same boat because every time a penalty flew out, I was like, that better be a freaking penalty. I'd like get all stand up, my chest yeah, all bowed out and stuff, and then I'd see the replay. I'd be like, oh yeah, that's, that's yeah. <laughs> no, that, that same thing happens to me. Like, yeah, all right, I can't really say too much about that one. All right, uh, we're gonna talk a lot more about the defense on the all 22 podcast breakdown of the defense this week. So I think we can get off there and we'll talk again, talk a lot more specifics there. Let's talk overall takeaways, anything else we might've missed here, Nick, or just things you want to say. I would say this, Nick, just to start this off and kind of get the, the, the juices flowing, the conversation flowing in, in, in at least one direction. It would be this today. I saw what I was hoping to see at times, eventually at least from Joe judge and the regimes before him that have failed which is an aggressive play-to-win style from a coaching standpoint. That's exactly what Dable gave them today. He said it before they got the ball back on that final touchdown drive. He told that, or he had already decided he was going for that two-point conversion if the Giants scored a touchdown. And he he threw that out there to his players, and they said, F yeah. That's what they said, because that's what these players are going to say. They're not going to worry. Just like Cadable said in the press conference, I thought he did a great job saying this after in the press conference. I think he said, oh, Brick Barkley said he's a man of his word. He said he's going to put the game in the players' hands, and that's exactly what he did by going for two. And Dable, they asked Dable basically, like, you know, like, you know what would have happened if you went for two and you missed that? What would you have said? And he's like, I don't care. Like, I understand the consequences of making that decision as a coach to go for it there. And if we miss and essentially he said, it doesn't matter to me. I need to play to win. I'm going for the- it's that aggressive style that I've been looking for, that you've been looking for, Nick, for so long from a Giants coaching staff. And that to me is the number one thing that stands out from this game, in addition to obviously some other things that we've talked about. But that's where I want to start with any other thoughts on that. No, I absolutely love everything you said right there. And just the sheer fact that Brian Dable has that kind of self-awareness. And then you can see how he is in his own skin. I feel like when he is up there, he is speaking just pure Brian Dable. This is me. I'm going to be unfiltered Brian Dable. And and I really respect that about him. And just the fact that he's willing to take those risks. I mean, dude, you're playing with house money. You're down in Tennessee. You have a chance to win the football game right against a team that was in the playoffs last year that had a first round bye last year. Go for two. Trust your players. Do you see the raw emotion of Saquon Barkley when he came off the field? Do you see how they embraced Brian Dable? You want to talk about setting a tone and setting a culture. That's one way to do it. And you're doing it in a very progressive manner in the fact that your team is going to follow your lead here. You're going to win your fan base over and you're improving your probability to win the freaking football game from an yeah. analytical standpoint. So like, I, I absolutely love the fact that he did. it's so refreshing, bro. The two key takeaways are the ones that you just mentioned, Nick. The first one is the culture aspect. This is a team that has lost a lot of close games. This is a team that has grown accustomed to losing. This is a team that last year and the year before, if they'd fallen behind by 13 and a half time, they're not making the comeback. We watched the story play out over and over. It only got worse. Interceptions, touchdowns for the other team, whatever it may be, now it's a blowout loss instead of the 13-point deficit. And so to give them the opportunity 
to put their, you know, put their fate in their hands. Like, don't worry about what could have happened. If you kick that extra point, you may lose on the field goal, or you may go to overtime, you lose the coin toss, and something fluky happens on the return game and a fluky play in a passing game, run game, whatever it may be. Now you lost the touchdown. The game's over. You never touch the ball again. You put it in your own hands. You trust your players' ability to execute a play call that you obviously had drawn up and was really excited to use. That play they took from from the Chiefs and other teams that have used it since. Really good play call, like we said earlier. We broke down why, which is basically it gets that one on one. It gets the defense moving in the opposite eyes in the opposite direction and moving, and you execute it. And that's what he did with his players. That's the first aspect. It's what does this say now? Well, we went for the win. We got aggressive. We got the win, and now we come out of this game. The Giants can win this game, right? Saquon Barkley, like you said, he was elated. Sterling Shepard, I watched him walk off the field. He's been through a lot of tough times and losing seasons and losing cultures with the Giants. He was elated to get off the field. You give them the opportunity to turn that narrative around. But like you also said there, Nick, the key also was that it's analytically the correct decision. Because listen, here are some of the options if you go for the extra point there. The options are you hope to stop them after you tie them. But even if you do, there's an if end to it, because even if you do or an even end to it, even if you do stop them, Nick, now you're hoping to win the coin toss in overtime. There's another compounding factor you have to hope for to work in your favor. And that's why I like the decision here to get aggressive. I know it's not always going to work. It's not really always about if it always works. It's about if the process gives you a better chance to win the football game. And today it literally did, because if they miss that, if the same thing happens, they go for the extra point, they miss that field goal. Who knows if the Giants win that game in overtime? I'm not overly confident i don't know if you are they could they maybe they could maybe they couldn't they were the better team in the second half but it's far from a guarantee so that's what i really liked about the decision those two factors the most all right anything else on the giants here today before we wrap this thing up and look forward to the next games now i would just encourage everybody to listen to the all 22 podcast everything is going to be broken down and it's going to be a ton of fun yeah it really is and Again, just such an awesome game to come out of here. The Giants now winning this first football game, getting to move on to what I feel is going to be, Nick, the best atmosphere at MetLife Stadium. I call it Giant Stadium still. I don't care. It's just more fun in my head to call it Giant Stadium. I grew up going to Giant Stadium with my dad. I walked up those spirals. That was the that was the GOAT, Giant Stadium, whatever, MetLife. It's going to be a crowd there that hasn't the atmosphere, the vibe is so different going into this as 1-0 versus 0-1, especially given all of the losing seasons before this because you lose this game, and let's say it continued. Thank God it didn't. Let's say it continued like it did in that first half, Nick, and ended up like 26-10 to 10 or 31-10. You walk in that stadium next week, even just week two, the season is far from over, but the atmosphere just isn't the same after a blowout loss in 0-1. But you come off an upset victory where you were nearly a full touchdown underdog in their house, on the road, against the former one seed. Now the atmosphere is a totally different thing for what is very legitimately a winnable game against Baker Mayfield and the Panthers. It's not every game the Giants play they're going to win type of thing, but they can win this game, and I can't wait to see what that atmosphere is like because I haven't seen that at Giants Stadium in so long. And my brother's going that game. I'm super jealous of him because that is going to be a really fun game to be at. It's going to be a great time, man. And anybody who goes, let us know, you know, slide into our DMs. Let us know that you're going and uh, just have the best time, man. Be loud, be rowdy, and let's hope the Giants can seize the moment and beat Baker Mayfield and the Carolina Panthers. All right, everyone. Thanks again for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you don't just always hit play. What really we need is download. So even so what I always like to suggest, because it's a really easy one, download all the episodes and then you can just delete them after you listen. And that'll take the storage off your phone and free that storage back up. But please hit download. Please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify and make sure you subscribe and get notifications for new episodes. That's all we'll ever ask. Thanks so much for tuning in. We can't wait to talk to you again this week.